presenting sponsor is Art Vanderhoot. Uh, Vanderhoot Industries specializes in the import-export business. They started importing potato chips, blue cheese, and <laughs> buffalo wing <laughs> flavored, and exporting diapers, but now they're thinking of solely exporting matches. Thanks, Vanderhoot. He's a hoot. All right, and we're live, you guys. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, who do we have on with us today, Allison? We have Aaron Karlikowski. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Allison. Hi, Jacob. How are you doing today? Excellent. That's not how we pronounce your last name, is it? Krolikowski. Krolikowski. But you did forget one thing. Did I? Oh, I'm going to sound not that nice PhD? when I say this. <laughs> Dr. Aaron Krolikowski. Yes, of course. Tell, tell us about well, yourself, Aaron. You have a doctor in the house. Yes. Not that kind of doctor, though. <laughs> I play one on TV. <laughs> I play one in downtown Las Vegas. No, um, so I am originally from Buffalo, New York, and I've been living in Las Vegas for, well, I've been living in Las Vegas for about nine months now, uh, but I've been working in Las Vegas for two years, mm-hmm. uh, coming back and forth. So, um, from Buffalo, uh, went to the University of Buffalo for undergrad. I got involved in quite a few community initiatives, environmental justice initiatives. Uh, got really into data analysis as well, and the intersection of research and policy at that point. Um, And all of the things that I was involved in back then helped me get into uh, grad school, where I studied international development uh, at something called Queen Elizabeth House, which is at the University of Oxford Mm -hmm. in the UK. And I did, I stayed at Oxford for my PhD, which I completed in uh, geography and the environment. Um, And so my focal point specialty was water Mm -hmm. and urban water systems. Um, But since then, uh, I've been working with philanthropy, and I work with United Ways, community foundations, and large advocacy organizations like AARP um, here in Southern Nevada and across the country. Hmm. Excellent. So uh, how how did you come to Las Vegas? How'd you why'd you come out here? So it was United Way uh, brought me out here uh, after the recession. Uh, Las Vegas was struggling a little bit um, in terms of economic growth and development. Um, and whenever the economy, a local economy is struggling, uh, it's philanthropic, it's social sector, it's nonprofit sector is also going to sort of bear the brunt of those impacts quite a bit. Um, and this, the United Way here in Las Vegas uh, experienced a little bit of controversy um, and their CEO left and they brought in a new CEO. And that CEO was my boss at a different United Way. And so when this, when the new CEO came in to Southern Nevada, uh, I was brought along as part of the team. And I'm still a contractor with that organization, uh, but over the last two years, I've really fallen in love with Las Vegas, the Valley, everything in the city and beyond it. And yeah, I moved here, like I said, about nine months ago. So Can you share awesome. um, about some of the projects you have going on right now with United Way or any other organizations in town? Yeah, so with United Way, I work most specifically on their measurement, uh, on their measurement work. So United Way is a fundraiser. And they are also a grant maker, which means they raise money from corporations, typically, and then they spend that money in the form of grants to community organizations and nonprofit organizations that are providing services. Um, But it's not just enough to make money and spend it. 
uh, you also, as especially donors and funders, also want to know what's happened to that money, what's happened to the people that have benefited from uh, the donations they've made. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I come in. I, I've been working with United Way for two years to improve their measurement practices so that they can not only use data to identify focused neighborhoods and populations that may be underserved right now, mm -hmm. but also use data and information to identify which programs are working which organizations are most effective. Um, and also we collect a lot of client feedback to see if the programs that we are funding are actually serving the people that, uh, that are accessing those services and if we're serving them in the right way. So I'm sort of a information warehouser for mm -hmm. United Way right now. And that has actually opened a lot of doors to answer your other question to other organizations like Spread the Word Nevada, Green Our Planet, okay. and others uh, that I've had an opportunity to um, just build relationships at this stage. I'm not taking on any brand new clients right now, um, but I've had the chance to work with some great organizations and give them some, I wouldn't even call it pro bono because we don't have any kind of arrangement, but give them you know, good advice on how they might be able to manage their numbers and crunch their numbers so that they can maximize their impact, to use a somewhat cliche term, um, but also communicate their mission and their message and their work to the right. people that are supporting them. So I've heard you uh, talk in the past about, um, you know, uh, things that you're trying to offer clients, uh, creating, demonstrating, and advocating especially, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What organizations can do to advocate uh, for themselves and spread their mission and get the public involved. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So create, demonstrate, and advocate is a really great framework that I use with my clients to make sure that they understand how they fit into the bigger system. Because when we run nonprofits or we're providing services to people who may not be able to access those services otherwise, we tend to think that we are saving the world. And I know we do have this, a lot of people do get this hero complex. Right. And the reality is that the scale of our resources and the scale of our capacity is so much smaller. It's just a drop in the bucket compared to the actual size of the problems that we're facing, whether it's poverty, homelessness, um, human trafficking, whatever it might be. Whatever we can do as individuals you know, is really small. But that doesn't mean that we should be hopeless. And so I use this framework of create, demonstrate, advocate to get people thinking of, okay, if there is a solution that works or one that we know could work, we need to not only create and adapt that program or adapt that solution to our local context. But we have to be able to demonstrate that it works. And right. that's where a lot of my measurement work comes in, mm -hmm. is how do we convince people that what you're doing is actually being effective? Mm -hmm. And it's not just about um, you know, creating a persuasive argument. I work with my clients to actually demonstrate that there are real changes that are happening in the lives of clients and in, and in communities to get mm -hmm. them to make that compelling case to whether it's their funders or supporters or legislators. Because when we talk about public right. resources, that's where we're able to marshal the right scale of resources and financial resources, human capacity to fight these social problems. Mm -hmm. And so that's why ad the advocate side is so important. You create the solution, or you generate the solution, you adapt it, you demonstrate that it works, and then you advocate the crap out of it. You, sh you tell people, you know, our elected officials are paid to listen to us. Mm -hmm. They're not really paid by us. They're our employees in, you know, in an indirect way. But right. they're not paid to take our side in an issue. They're you paid to they're listen. they're not in the export-import business? They're not sponsoring us. <laughs> that's, our, that's our sponsor for today. But yeah, our elected officials aren't paid to take our side in an argument. Mm -hmm. They're paid to listen to all sides of an argument. 
Right. And so if you want your voice heard, you need to be ready to tell them about the solutions that are actually working. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you that the people who are, you know, shouting the highest to either whether it's lower taxes or cut government services or whatever else they might be advocating for. Um, and I'm not taking a value judgment on either, any of those. Mm-hmm. They're shouting loudly and that's what the elected officials are hearing. Mm-hmm. They really appreciate when they hear about solutions that are working in the community. They really, really appreciate when organizations have done the best job they can to sort of hand up a solution on a silver platter to them. And that's the opportunity that the people that I work with, the nonprofit sector, the social sector, that's the opportunity that we have is to basically create solutions on issues that honestly real estate developers don't care about. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, they don't care as much about homelessness. Um, but they're the people who have the lobbyists. They're the people who have the voice. And so what we do with Create, Demonstrate, Advocate is put us in a framework where we are always ending at that advocate, where we know that there is something bigger, that a bigger fight, a bigger conversation that we need to have. And, and if we can make it work for 100 people, there's no reason why we can't make it work for 10,000. And right? how, re- uh, how well-received or receptive would you say that our public officials are here to uh, nonprofits? Well, I am still very new to Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. Um, but I really appreciate that you asked this question because I've lived in a lot of different places in a lot of different countries around the world um, and a lot of different places here in the United States. And Las Vegas, one of the reasons I chose to move here was because uh, of my experience with the elected officials here. I go to community events, I go to public meetings, and elected officials are there often, you know, they might make a few words, say a few words, but they're there as interested citizens. Mm -hmm. They're not there as kings or as princes or as queens to to lord over the people. Um, And so elected officials, I think, in Southern Nevada, in Nevada, do a really excellent job of listening to people. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they take our sides in disagreements, right? you know, that's, that's a different conversation altogether, but... I've been totally floored and amazed by how close the government is to the people here in Southern Nevada. And with so many people moving in and out of the region all the time, you know, they have, they have to become good listeners because the person who tells them something one week may be gone two weeks later. Yeah. And so they really have to make good decisions. And I think uh, I've been impressed by mm-hmm. the legislators here in Nevada uh, in terms of their ability to listen and their interest in what people have to say. Right. So, Aaron, I will say you are the first guest we've had on the podcast who is drinking with us. Can so you tell at we, this stage? We appreciate it. Yeah. No, definitely not. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, but kind of along with that, so we, t- we talk about Las Vegas. We talk about getting involved. Where do you like to, where's your favorite place to go to eat? And where's your favorite place to go to drink in Las Vegas? Oh, gosh. My favorite place to eat. Do you want my podcast can, answer or can, my you dirty? Can us, you can give us where where it is, like, what your heart where your How heart about two says. options? Yeah. Everybody is going options. to roll their eyes when I say this. Not Allison. Allison already knows. You know what I'm going to say? <laughs> I Jose, know Jose's you always, ready to roll his eyes. It's in your bio. You, no, no. It's not oh, the no? one in my bio. Tell us. No. Tell us. So my dirty little secret, um, and everybody's going to roll their eyes, uh, I am a shameless Del Taco fan. Ugh. All right, and everybody is making faces right now. Um, Del Taco, they're I'm not promoting them, but I will say they have these. I did not see that one coming. They have it's the best fast food for me because um, sometimes like life is just really quick, right? And they have these. Is uh, it really avocado and chicken 
uh, rice and black bean bowls oh. that are like super healthy, not a lot of calories. You're getting good nutrition. It's from a fast food place, so it's not the greatest, but I've not found any other fast food place on the face of this planet that offers me avocado, chicken, rice, and black beans in the same meal. Wow. So that's why I'm secretly in love with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes. I was yes, gonna yes, say, yes. just keep that under wraps. <laughs> yeah. We don't. We don't judge here. We don't about that. I don't. All right. Okay. And so to answer your other question, how about a local place? The local place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Show some uh, love. <laughs> no. So I'm a coffee guy. Um, okay. I work remotely a lot of the time. Um, sometimes I'm at client offices, but I've really gotten to know the Las Vegas coffee shop scene. Um, and one of my favorite places is called Illuminate. That's and where I study mm-hmm. all the time. Yes, exactly. That's my favorite place. They yeah. have the best smoothies. They have the mm-hmm. best rice bowls. I have this thing with rice bowls, yeah. apparently. Um, but they have incredible food down there. Great place to go set up. And they close relatively late for a coffee shop, they do. no? They yeah. do. They do. They're at Rainbow and Russell. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not central. It's not downtown. But it's definitely local. And I love it there. It's it's out of the way. But for, for me, being from down, living downtown, mm-hmm. but it is, as Jacob says... A fantastic place to study oh, and get yeah. work done and the people are really cool yeah. just feels like a good place to hang out i applaud yeah. you for recognizing that there are other parts of the city other than yeah. downtown despite oh, yeah. my program being based downtown no i mean downtown's great <laughs> yeah. i was really hoping aaron that you were going to say Illuminate just because i love that place although i don't want more people to go <laughs> you know when i first started coming to las vegas it was one of the first coffee shops that felt like home to mm-hmm. me um, and it was always empty, and now whenever I go, I can barely get a seat. Yeah. So um, I understand. <laughs> I understand that that pain of you know we don't want to promote it, but it is really a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah, when I've yeah. been, I've found it loud, and I thought it was odd that you said that you study there. I was like, how does he, how does he do this? Headphones. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I have to listen to my own music. Although I will say the baristas at a little latte are the best. They have the best taste of music of any of the local coffee shops mm-hmm. that I've been to. I haven't been to all of them, but their taste of music is generally better. Aaron's a big live music guy. Have you checked mm-hmm. out any cool shows lately? I haven't been to anything lately mm-hmm. um, because I'm I'm trying. I'm launching a new business here in Southern Nevada. Just got my LLC paperwork from the Secretary of State. Congratulations. Um, the name of the business is Casanova West, and we are going to be building chatbots, survey chatbots, uh, for the nonprofit Ooh. sector and for social service providers. Uh, so this is a sort of emerging field of tech, automated AI. Um, dun, dun, dun. For those that take automated notes on messaging, notebooks, AI. can you break that down? What does that mean? So artificial intelligence, um, these are basically, the chatbots we create are very basic. These are kind of like robots that um, exist in the communication sphere altogether. You'll never like actually see the robot except in you know, how it's communicating to you via text message. And that's what my company specializes in, okay. automated text message chatbots uh, that accomplish certain functions for nonprofits, whether it's intake and registration, program measurement, outcome measurement, um, collecting client feedback, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's these things are, especially if you talk to, sorry, if you talk to any customer service entity online and they say, talk with one of our live agents, Mm-hmm. It's not a live agent you're talking to. Oh, you're talking okay. to an automated chatbot. Oh, and so this is big in the private sector. It's growing. Um, and the nonprofit sector, we want to make sure that uh, we have access to the same technology, number one. Mm-hmm. But I'll also add, I know I'm talking. No, 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 no. On this, on my, my, my mind was just blown by, I just talked with a chatbot two days ago. And I was like, I didn't know. 
It passed the Turing test. Oh, exactly. You didn't know it wasn't a. Ro- you didn't know it was a robot. No. Right. Exactly. So that's what that's yeah. that's what this new business is working on, <laughs> and it's based right here in Las Vegas. Oh. Um, wait, what is Casanova West? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Not the chatbot okay. that you. I was like, wait, what? No. She lives next chat to me. Chatbots don't live anywhere. Right. That's they the live thing. in our minds. And the cloud. And, and servers. the cloud. Yes. And all that. And in code. Interweb. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. But Nevada mm-hmm. ranks as the as the lowest state. I hate to use these rankings, but in terms of nonprofit services provided to people, right. we have for a city the size of Las Vegas, for a metro area the size of the Las Vegas Henderson Paradise metro area, we have one of the smallest nonprofit sectors in, the, in this country, uh, which means that people who need services are des- desperately are not getting them. Right. And that's where chatbots can play the biggest role because mm-hmm. chatbots allow nonprofits and organizations that are either limited in their size, their scope, or their capacity allows them to increase their own capacity, their labor force. Chatbots are basically employees that accomplish tasks for you Mm -hmm. in an automated way, but you don't pay benefits and you don't pay healthcare and you don't pay wages. And I know we're talking, you know, there's this big fear nationwide and in the economy about robots taking our jobs. Number one, the research doesn't show that this is the case. They're stealing our wages. We we Mm. don't see wage growth, but we see the economy grow. So Mm. that's one thing we have to keep in mind. But robots don't steal our jobs. They actually create more jobs. Um, Higher skilled. Higher skilled jobs, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we can, that's another debate altogether. Um, Kitchen table issue. Yeah. Yeah. Side note. But what about... In industries like the nonprofit industry, yeah, where we don't have enough. How do, we what I'm what we're trying to do is build robots that take jobs that don't exist but should. Right. Mm-hmm. The nonprofit sector doesn't have the financial capacity to pay those wages, to pay those benefits, to pay that healthcare. But chatbots don't need any of that, right. and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take a nonprofit sector here in Southern Nevada that is underdeveloped, mm-hmm. that is desperately in need of more capacity. And in any other city, a larger labor force. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is build that labor force through automation. And you solve just that blew problem. my mind, actually. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. People think of the um, automation of the workforce and here in Vegas, like the service industry, but I never really thought about it in the context of the nonprofit sector. Yeah. How do you And build... as someone that worked at the front of the house, right. I it, see the need. Yeah. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's re- it really is about how do you build. How, how, how do we use and leverage robots, this idea, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of robots or this idea of artificial intelligence to not take jobs that exist, mm-hmm. right? But to build jobs that need to exist but don't. Yeah. And that's what we're going after. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I, I speak for myself, but as someone who's worked in the nonprofit field for a while, like that, I can see so many instances where that would have helped me do my job better also. Exactly, um, and that's where that could have really, really used that. Particularly when it comes to answering, like, I mean, I work in volunteer management, so answering questions about, like, when people want to know about how to volunteer, how to get involved. I mean, that takes up so much of my time, and it does not exactly. allow me to do other things. But that would be easily solved by just AI, because it's the same. It's the same. Inf- everyone's getting the same information. Yeah. Human capacity can do so much more yeah. than robots ever could. Right, and that's what we have yeah. to remember. Like. Yeah, we can build these new robots that do cool things, but humans, there's no match. Like, I, nobody can ever program a, a human. At least we're not at that stage, right. and mm-hmm. we're far off from it. Let's hope so. <laughs> um, but imagine, yeah. Jake, as a as a you know, in, in any situation where you've been a frontline employee or a ground mm-hmm. level staff member, if you had a team of four or five 
chatbots that can help you accomplish certain tasks right. that oh, would free yeah. up all that time yeah, would. that you were answering emails and mm-hmm. answering these sort of low-level questions. Imagine all the other things you could do and all the contributions you can make to our community. Yeah. Wow. But volunteers definitely increase the capacity of these organizations. Mm-hmm. But what volunteers are also a good symbol of or what they symbolize is that there is a civic capacity and there's a civic interest. Mm-hmm. And there's an interest in building a better community, a stronger community. And my experience, you, know, you ask me what brought me out to Las Vegas. Sure, it was the United Way, philanthropy, mm-hmm. these brand names, whatever. And it's Vegas because I love Las Vegas. I can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, the but Las Vegas is one of the youngest cities in the country, and it is one of the fastest growing. I think it is the fastest growing young is the youngest fast-growing city in the country, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which just means great things for its future if we grow in the right kinds of ways. Um, and I think this desire to contribute, this desire to have a civic community, to have uh, a great culture of volunteerism, right. is something that you know it all comes together. That's that's really what draw, drew me. There's an energy here. Mm-hmm. It's fresh. It's new. New ideas are welcomed. If you're a newcomer to the valley. People who've been here for six months all the way up to 16 or 60 years ask you to contribute. They say, hey, participate, because um, I think there's this desire to build to build a city of the future. And I think that's like, that's really what brought me out here is that mindset, but also the potential for Las Vegas as a service driven economy in the desert with little with few water resources to mm-hmm. speak of mm-hmm. could actually become the model sustainable city in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we don't have heavy industry, because we're not destroying major ecosystems in the development of our city. We're not, we are sprawling, but we're sprawling into scrubland. Right. Are there better ways we can use that land? You know, we're faced as a city with a lot of, with a, as a region, with a lot of really interesting questions when it comes to growth and development mm-hmm. and what it's going to look like in the 21st century. And what models we build here over the next 10, 20, 30 years, will I have full confidence will inform how global development happens, global urban development happens. Um, but we have to make those changes here first. Mm-hmm. And so you're an urban geographer. You live downtown. Uh, what are your impressions of the downtown area? So downtown has a lot of work. I mean, as anybody knows, like downtown Las Vegas, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of work still left to be done. There's a lot of things that have been done. Mm-hmm. But I come from a city, a Rust Belt city, Buffalo, where when I was growing up, all virtually all of the buildings downtown were vacant mm-hmm. um, or had big four lease signs and there was nothing going on. And when I come to downtown Las Vegas and I see parking lots and I see buildings that are being renovated, um, I see a city in transition. I see a neighborhood in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I forget the initial question um, other than you know, I live in downtown Las Vegas. I like walkable neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the walk score where I live is actually really, really high. And I feel like I can get a lot of my stuff done uh, on foot from uh, the 211 where I live. Okay. Right. So, uh, Aaron, I have a question because we were, we were talking about, just talking about volunteers and volunteerism. Um, as someone who's new to, newer to the community, um, how would you recommend someone that's, you know, either new um, or who's been here a while, like, how do they get involved? How would you say, like, where where would you go? What would you suggest to someone to get involved? Well, I would just, I wouldn't tell you to follow my exact steps exactly, <laughs> but there are three organizations in particular that have really benefited myself okay. um, and my experience in Las Vegas that I think 
I think my impression of Las Vegas, I'll just start off by saying, I think my impression of Las Vegas is very different than what most people experience. Right. Because I'm here talking about uh, the civic community, this, mm-hmm. you know, volunteerism, this idea of we are building a better society together. And I think a lot of people who come to Las Vegas don't have that experience. Right. Because they may be living in a gated community in a different part of the city, Summerlin, Henderson, Spring Valley, where they don't really get to know their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And there's not necessarily a ton of events uh, for them to participate in. So those three organizations that I sort of led off with, or was okay. going to talk about United Way, Young, uh, YNPN, which is the Young Nonprofits Professional Network of Southern Nevada, smaller. and then um, a s- smaller organization. These are getting from bigger to right. smaller. Uh, a smaller commu- co-living community I'm part of called uh, Dwell, which is in the 211. Which is we have some micro apartments, but they're super efficient. Um, but yeah, Dwell is a community of community-minded individuals that we're trying to build here in downtown Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of things together informally. We goof off in the hallways probably a little bit too much for the <laughs> staff's liking. Um, you know, and we're fully grown adults. We're all sort of like 28 to 35. But are you really? <laughs> no, we're all children at heart. Um, you know, we only get taught how to act in public. <laughs> that really applies to myself. Uh, completely but dwell also plugs us into some really fantastic um community events volunteer events um i think one of my first political meetings that i went to here in uh, southern nevada was uh, organized by the stonewall democrats and while i'm not a registered democrat um it was a great community to uh, connect with and i wouldn't have had that connection without um allison who's actually our community manager for Yay. well. <laughs> but shameless I'm very, self-promotion. That's right. It is shameless, but <laughs> yeah. um, I really appreciate all that you've done in terms of connecting me to the local community, um, particularly the downtown community. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, yeah. you are a, it's a pleasure to have you in the program. I think you've really made a lot, uh, the most of it. Um, not, you know, you're not originally from Vegas and just diving in and going to all the activities that I send you in the residence, you're making the most of it and just getting out there and hustling until you don't have to stop presenting yourself to people and, you know, seeing, getting the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, to wrap up, Aaron, um, do you have any, uh, little nugget of knowledge or, uh, local gem that you want to share with us? Oh. Something like off the radar that you partake in? Um, legal? Partake in. Well, things are wow. definitely legal here. Wow. Um, I do love Nevada for its libertarian mindset. I do love Nevada for its uh, recent approach to things like cannabis and its ability to... Uh, just Nevadans in general uh, are very live and let live kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you do your thing, I'll do mine thing. Uh, just, you know try and make a good contribution is sort of my, is the thing that I expect from people. Like, mm-hmm. Try at least a little bit. Um, that's not answering your question. What will answer your question though. Um, no, it did. <laughs> it really did. Oh, it did? <laughs> yeah. It did. Um, wow. I'm trying, I'm trying to say things yeah. that uh, my mother would still be proud of me about. Um, I, I'm sure she But Amber Hi, Unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> Amber Unicorn Books. Oh, yes. uh-huh. I really, I really can't get over this place. Mm-hmm. It is one of Las Vegas's few used bookshops, and I'm very big on reusing existing resources, uh, existing infrastructure, existing books, whatever, and ex- existing knowledge, whatever it might be. Um, and so I'm less likely to buy new books, which is how mm-hmm. I found myself at Amber Unicorn. And it's at, and again, they're not a sponsor, but. They're uh, on Decatur between Oki and Sahara, so off the Strip, outside of downtown. 
but they have a store they have two storefronts and one is sort of under lock and key and that's where all the really good stuff is mm. so if you go into their fronts and they're the main storefront you'll see a lot of stuff about nevada history ufos uh crazy conspiracy theories there's some other stuff you know like romance novels and that's not under lock and key that's not under lock (laughs) and key but if you ask them to open up the other space they have a ton it's like a treasure trove it's like a mini alexand library of alexandria when it comes to the social sciences economics history anthropology so on and so forth so amber unicorn books whenever i go i always have to like not schedule anything because i'm the kind of guy that just like sits on the ground and will like pull things off the shelves Nice. And so, yeah. And honestly, if you order a book from them, they will call you 5,000 times until you come pick it up. Oh. <laughs> Great customer service. Oh, That's awesome. awesome. But That's yeah, good to hear. check that out if you're a, if you're a book lover. Um, and yeah, yeah, in the age of Amazon, mm-hmm. support our local bookshops. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for visiting with us today, Aaron. We, I know we're definitely going to have you back. So uh, listeners, be on the lookout for that. And so uh, this has been Wild and Free, a Battleborn podcast. Allison, who do we have supporting us here today in the pot for the podcast? Our producer today is Jose Sotelo. Today and every day, actually, is Jose Sotelo. Research assistance and fact-checking by Ashley Pacheco. And creative direction by Berta Gutierrez. And, of course, the dog in the den of descent, who is lying at the feet of our guest Aaron, is Raven. Woohoo, Raven! Giddy up. <laughs>